Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. How much longer will justice be? Well, hello, everybody. This is Shane Claiborne, and I'm so glad you could listen in on the show. Uh, you know, on this show, I we talk about faith. We also talk about uh, how faith should compel us to do meaningful things in the world. <laughs> and I'm also very aware that uh, sometimes one of the biggest obstacles to Christ is Christians who are often doing really embarrassing things in the name of Christ. So no matter where you're at in your faith, uh, I hope you feel welcome as you listen in. And what a treat. We got a fun guest today, uh, Roxanne Stone, who wears a few different hats. She is the managing editor at Religion News Service, which is really one of the premier, um, would you, what would you call it, Roxanne? Like a syndicated, it's like it's like the Associated Press, but in Religion News, right? Like goes out all over the country. That's right. And thank you for having me. Yeah, we're, we're, we actually partner with the Associated Press. So um, yes, we are similar to that Newswire service. So you'll see our stuff in various outlets besides Religion News Service. And Roxanne's uh, obviously a writer, a journalist, uh, but also co-hosts a wonderful podcast with Caitlin Beatty. It's called Saved by the City. So you've been doing that a couple of years. Tell us yeah. a little bit more about your podcast. Uh, and, and and Caitlin's wonderful. She's a friend as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a couple of years ago, um, you know, it was the middle of the pandemic. And so <laughs> why not start a podcast? But um, yeah, we had both Caitlin and I had moved to New York City kind of in our 30s as sort of a start over for both of us for different reasons. And um, we had both grown up in sort of middle of the country, uh, pretty evangelical communities. Um and moving to New York, you know, was is an adventure for everyone. And it's a particular kind of adventure for two single middle of the country evangelical women. So we just kind of we started the podcast sort of with that conceit, like, oh, look at us, small town girls in the big city. You know? <laughs> and then it just kind of has really morphed into really us talking about all the tough stuff about faith and um, living in today's world and trying to be um thoughtful Christians and really examining both our own faith, but also the tradition that we grew up in and the way it sort of manifests in the world. So good. So we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff, y'all. You're in for a treat. But I I, I should just confess and put it out there that um, while we have done many things together, Roxanne, and, uh, you know, we were together at the Riverside Church when we read Dr. King's mm-hmm. um uh, just incredible speech beyond Vietnam with uh, Bern- Dr. Bernice King was there and all kinds of folks from around the country. We read kind of it in its entirety there on the anniversary of that. Um, um, but you, you know, I saw you recently in the documentary on Hillsong. 
And, you know, not everybody listening in probably knows of Hillsong, but the um, it's a very influential megachurch. And the documentary was Hillsong, A Megachurch Exposed. And you did an incredible job. Uh, talk, you know, providing commentary, backdrop, research, all the wonderful things that you do in that. And uh, Katie and I were watching it and uh, and we were like, and I said, oh, I know Roxanne. And then I thought, you know, I'm going to have you on the show. And and of course, I'm going to have Caitlin, too, to talk about kind of the flip side of this, you know, her great work, um, Celebrities for Jesus. You know, that's her book. So I'm reading it right now. And um, we're going to talk about that. But so you uh, you are very clear that you're wearing the journalism hat as we yes. talk about Hillsong, <laughs> not the the uh, pundit or social commentator or whatnot. Um, but before we get there, before we talk about Hillsong, I we were talking a little bit before uh, before the show about your own faith journey, and I know this is personal, but it helps people get a little context from you know the angle and perspective you're coming from, even though you try to write as an objective journalist on things like Hillsong, but um, I don't know. Red letter Christians, we always call ourselves a web of subversive friends. So um, I, I, you know, I, I would love you, for you to share as much as you feel comfortable about your own kind of backdrop of, of Christian faith. Sure. Well, I grew up in um, a teeny tiny uh, rural uh, farm and ranch town in eastern Colorado. Um, and it was a one church town, um, no stoplights and one church. And so it was, you know, that's kind of what I grew up with was this, uh, it was sort of a Southern Baptist church in name, um, but really was like a community church. So a lot of what I learned there growing up um, was sure, like the theological side of evangelicalism. And this was like the 90s. And so it's like, you know, it was a lot of a lot of that era of the teen Bible and the, you know, all of the DC talk and all of that. So I did get a lot of that, but I also saw, I think what a local church can really mean to a community and the way that it bonded the community of, you know, my town was like a hundred people and the way that it like supported so many people. And the pastor was at every basketball game and football game. And, mm. you know, it was such an essential part of the community. So I think when I left that, and I started to see, like, I, I had a vision for what church could look like that was beautiful in that very hyper-local way. And so I think as I got older and I, like, went to different evangelical churches and then kind of got into, like, the Christian publishing world, I started to get kind of cynical. I saw a lot of pastors fall. I saw a lot of churches doing a lot of stuff that I was like, that's not good. Um, and now we're, you know, and then the the the... 2016 election and the politicization of the church. And so I think it's been, you know, like a lot of people my age, a real journey of trying to figure out like this thing that I grew up with and that I love has really hurt me and has hurt a lot of other people. And how do I sort out loving Jesus and loving God and loving the church while mm. also holding it accountable to its own value systems? Hmm. So interesting. Yeah, there is a lot of deconstruction happening uh, these days. And um, there are some things that I think need to be deconstructed and torn down. I mean, you know, we're, we're renovating abandoned houses in on the north side of Philly, Roxanne. And I sometimes think of the landscape of Christianity a little by, a bit like these these houses. Some of them 
they look terrible, but it's really just aesthetic. You know, you, you just needs new sheetrock and, you know, like right. paint, paint and stuff. There's others that, um, you know, the, the, the entire foundation yeah. <laughs> is yeah. really pretty, uh, pretty messed up and, and you're better off just starting from scratch. Um, but it, you know, it's hard to kind of discern that within Christianity. I mean, some of our do- denominations were founded on, terrible thing the wrong side of history you know when it comes to race or whatever um and and yet like there's some of them that that um they just need like to dust off this stuff a little bit you know so like how are you navigating this interesting season of christianity that we're living in <laughs> you see well, a lot of it too because you're reading i so am it, yeah i'm right in the middle of it in so many ways because of my job and my work um but You know, I think living in New York City changes that dynamic for me some because I'm not in, I'm, you know, people think, oh, the big secular city. I mean, New York is still a majority Christian city. It just looks very different than a lot of the rest of the country. And it is much more pluralistic. But um, so I don't assume everywhere I go that people are Christians. And I think that has helped me have much more interesting conversations because I I feel like I have been challenged to express what I really believe instead of making assumptions or someone making assumptions about me. Um, I do go to a church here in the city that I really love that I think has as sort of marrying some interesting traditions between like the Episcopal church and sort of the evangelical non-denom church. Um, and, you know, I'm, I mean, honestly, we joke a lot at our church and maybe it's not really a joke, <laughs> but um, that we're like a backdoor in a lot of ways. Like we catch a lot of people on their way out of Christianity, especially in marginalized communities. So, I mean, I think that that's been a really good healing place for me as well as like New York City has been as well, because I think you really have to own it for yourself here um, in a way that uh, makes you test those beliefs and gives you reason to every day. So. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges with with the work that we do at red letter Christians, one of the things that we say is that we're, we're going to change the narrative by changing the narrators. And Mm -hmm. what feels like pretty clear is that some of the loudest voices representing evangelical Christianity in public aren't the necessarily the the most beautiful voices (laughs) or the healthiest voices. And so like, let's try to, amplify uh the voices that have more of a loving jesus-like uh version of christianity um and it and it feels to me like one of the things that that's happening is that those loud voices though the most toxic versions of evangelicalism have kind of colonized um the landscape a little bit and so there's a lot of people that leave white evangelicalism but they don't necessarily um, find anything else. So I, I wonder if you're, you're like seeing that, you know, where, where you see fresh, healthy life, uh, as we say, like good stuff comes out of the compost. <laughs> so where do you see the life coming out of the compost of Christendom? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, honestly, I think these are I think there's beauty coming from the margins, you know, from groups that, um, you know, I think have, have been doing beautiful stuff for a long time and maybe just weren't, didn't have a voice. So like a lot of womanist theology, um, a lot of, I think, um, you know, black theology and liberation theology that, that honestly just like 
was, you know, decried for a long time among white evangelicalism, I think is like getting a more of a stage now. Um, you know, I think we're seeing, um, you know, I think we're seeing LGBTQ Christians really saying like, I want to have a place here and I want to have a voice here and, and really being able to say like what it feels like to be um, on the wrong side of, you know, the, the angry side of Christianity and to say like, I love Jesus anyway. And so I think being able to hear those voices and um, to recognize that those voices have a really authentic connection with Jesus in a way that so many of us who maybe have experienced life mostly in a majority, like don't have that same connection to Jesus. And so being able to hear why they continue to love Jesus has given, at least has given me um, fresh love for him and for our tradition that I think has been hard to find sometimes after being disappointed so often and, and hurt and, and, and disillusioned by a lot of what I've seen the white church do in America. Yes. Uh, I should stop just to say, if you're just tuning in, um, the voice you've been listening to is Roxanne Stone. She is a wonderful, uh, writer and um, commentator, journalist. Uh, she's the managing editor of Religion News Service and also co-host of the podcast Saved by the City. So we're talking about, um, well, you know, the fact that that um, Jesus, you know, Jesus is uh, survived somehow. Jesus has survived some of the embarrassing things that Christians have done in his name. Um, but it keeps happening that, you know, we, we see these things that you just, your, your head spins. Um, I mean, I worked at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago uh, for a little while. Did you know that? <laughs> I, I did, but I had forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's the whole, uh, you know, um, controversy and, and, um, and the, the kind of, um, misconduct uh, that happened from Bill Hybels, the founder there. There's been all kinds of, uh, I mean, kind of one thing after another. Sometimes they're um, just things that people say, like when, you know, Louis Giglio is trying to talk about race and he he talks about the white blessing that came from, you know, uh, racism. And you know, you're like, well, and, and, and people sometimes apologize for these things, but um, the Southern Baptist world is sort of in, in free fall with lots of scandals. I mean, there've been the Catholic church too, is not just an evangelical thing, but, um, the latest sort of thing that we've been paying attention to many of us is, uh, what's happened at Hillsong. So I want us to spend a little time talking about that. Uh, and because you've studied it, I feel like you'll do a better job than me at giving a little of the historic backdrop for folks that don't even know what Hillsong is, but also why it matters. Because regardless of how much you know the name Hillsong, um, anyone that that's in the Christian world has listened to the music that's come out of Hillsong and probably even indirectly been impacted by uh, some of what's happened there. So give us a little backdrop of what is Hillsong, Roxanne, with your sure. jur journalism, not your commentator hat on. <laughs> well, I mean, Hillsong is... A global phenomenon. I mean, it started, uh, the founder, Brian, founders, Brian and Bobby Houston started it in Sydney in the 1980s and Sydney, Australia. And it, you know, it, it was, it's a sort of Pentecostal church tradition. So more charismatic. Um, and 
it just grew really, really quickly, both in Australia and then began to plant churches globally. And where where they really began to explode is through their sort of media outlets. So <clears throat> they had a worship band that they began to sort of distribute their music and they were they had they had some more famous voices especially within australia at the time um and the people just loved their music and they gave you know they sold rights to churches so that they could sing those worship songs and i mean this was this is sort of a common tradition particularly within um some of these pentecostal churches so the vineyard movement did it kind of before hillsong and you see bethel doing it now so there's a lot of a lot of churches that are singing these songs and sometimes don't even know. Like recently I was actually just visiting an Episcopal church here in New York City and at the end they were singing like a Hillsong song and I was like, how? <laughs> I can't escape this. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's a very, um, their music is really what blew them up, but they've been, you know, they've been continuing to plant churches all over the world and they planted um, their first church in the U.S., I think it was in 2010 um, in New York City. And um, Brian and Bobby's son, Joel, who was sort of the main leader of one of the worship bands out of Hillsong at the time, he co-planted it along with Carl Lentz, who was sort of an up-and-coming rising star of a pastor within the Hillsong Network. They also have like a college so in Sydney. So a lot of people go over and know them through like studying at their college to go into a ministry track of worship or pastoral work. Um, and one of the ways that this became known a little bit more outside of the Christian world, right, was it um, Justin Bieber had yes. gone there. And so there were like a lot of sort of, or at least a handful of, of uh, well-known kind of celebrity folks that, yeah. uh, I mean, I think some of them also had a really authentic Christian, oh. you know, spiritual experience like, there. Um, but then you started to see this thing really um, kind of, crack a little bit. Yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Carl Lentz in particular became really well known as like the celebrity pastor. So he would appear on Anderson Cooper and, you know, CNN, like all of these shows, you know, he was pictured with Justin Bieber really regularly. He famously baptized Justin Bieber in Tyler Chan Tyson Chandler's uh, bathtub. And so it was a big, like there were a lot of celebrities coming to this church at various times. Um, and it sort of felt like a rock concert when you would go. I mean, the music was really loud. It was it was being held in um, a music venue. So like in the it, the night on Saturday night, there would be like a music concert. And then on Sunday morning, it's church. And so it sort of it, it had this reputation. It really it was very hyped in New York. Mm. Um, and and so, yeah, I mean, he was he was in tabloids all the time, like on page six and yeah. in the New York with these celebrities. So he became a well-known quantity. Um, and then um, a couple of years ago in November, 2020, um, he was fired from Hillsong. And then it came out that he had been having an affair and he admitted to that, but then it sort of came out that there was like maybe more than one. And then maybe there was some sexual abuse allegations. And then and then there was an investigation into New into the into New York Hillsong, and there were all of these sort of just an uncovering of a lot of just uncomfortable things, like the way that money was spent, the way that volunteers were sort of maybe well overused mm -hmm. um, and even abused, and um, there was a lot. There was a very like 
VIP celebrity kind of situation going on there so that celebrities were treated differently. So all of that was happening at New York. And then in Australia, it was kind of imploding in other ways with um, Brian Houston, who was being accused by the Australian um, law of covering up his father's who was also. Yeah. So let's talk about that in just a second. And, but I want to say this for folks listening in that one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is not to like, um, take light of this or to sort of Mm -hmm. triumphalistically like, I I mean, my heart is heavy. Like it makes me very, very sad. And I believe that the truth sets us free. And in the Christian tradition, we believe that a part of our, faith is confessing what we've done wrong. And yet at the heart of evangelicalism, many of the leaders have done anything but confess what they've done wrong until they get caught on tape or it gets exposed. And that's part of the problem is it really begins to have these massive ripples, you know, whether it's Willow Creek or it's Hillsong or whatever, like, um, uh, and, and so, you know, there's the, the issue in New York. I mean, and then, you know, there's Jerry Falwell. I mean, we're not going to be able to talk about all this, Roxanne. We got five minutes, <laughs> but I want you to get us up to date a little bit on, um, you know, there, there was this cover up of scandals that he, that Brian's now facing charges. He, he stepped down, but, um, I mean, what, what's the, what can we learn from all this or, or, you know, or is it just like, yeah. uh, you know, what, why, why is this important? I mean, I think there are lessons upon lessons upon lessons to be taken from this. Um, you know, I think there's the, the, uh, the cover-ups, like a church that tries to, that continues to try to protect a leader at all costs, um, that, you know, that that will snowball and often, and, and can destroy a church, which I think we've seen in a lot of instances. But also, um, you know, so I think there's there's a whole lot of work that the church needs to do um, and reckoning that the church needs to do around how much it's platformed pastors to the point where they're more important than the church and they're more important than like the health and well-being of people in the pews. So that is certainly one thing that we need to take from this. And that and that, that kind of that lack of transparency, that a sort of a, a lack of accountability, a pastor that gets so big they can't fall, that nobody can say anything against them, like all of that sort of it just it just creates a destructive like it's an an, almost inevitable you know i mean we keep seeing this over and over again that a person with that much power and that much freedom to use that power however like it's just a recipe for disaster so i think we have that um for me hillsong the unique aspect of hillsong that maybe feels a little different to me than some of these other um well-known sort of pastors who've fallen is the the celebrity side of the way that Hillsong presented itself, which was, you know, a lot of celebrities, a lot of sort of splashy wealth um, in terms of like what people, what the pastors were wearing and what they and were this dropping. Is kinda, this is kind of the like the sneakers with the, the preachers with yeah, sneakers exactly. singer or whatever, right? Like thousand dollar shoes and jackets mm-hmm. or whatever. So yeah, Carl Lentz was featured on, on <laughs> preachers and sneakers more than once. So so I think that that idea of like, if you're going to cultivate that kind of image and you're putting it on stage and you're putting it front and center, like ultimately those kinds of things aren't just images. They they disciple us in certain ways and they create an mm. environment that, you know, 
prior that, that tells people to prioritize wealth and prioritize celebrity and prioritize the rock star lifestyle over the message of the gospel. And I think that is some of what was happening at Hillsong. Mm, and and some of this is so personal for people. I mean, I, I know, you know, around the whole um, uh, sex scandal with Bruxy Cavey and, and uh, Canada, I mean, he, he, I wrote the forward to his book. We've done stuff together. You know, it broke my heart. It's had so many ripples. Uh, one of the largest congregations in Canada. Um, so there's some, there's something that we've got to pay attention to in all of this. And I mean, I think some of it is the secrecy, the layers of protection that you're saying. Um, but what, you know, what else is you think of, well, first maybe give it, get us up to date before we run out of time here on like, so there was a court date, like where, where are things at with Brian and like, is this, is this resolving? Is there some healing that's coming? He's in court in Australia. Um, and you know, I think we'll, we'll see. Um, and Hillsong, New York City is meeting, but in a much smaller fashion. Um, and I think a lot, a lot of Hillsong churches in the U.S. have disaffiliated from his, from Hillsong. So it's definitely a church in major transition right now. And they dissolved their global board and are trying to put mm. together a new one. So I think they're really trying. I we'll see. You know, yeah. we'll see. What we're going to have to keep we're going to have to keep talking about this but I want to you know we just got a minute or so left I want to see if there's any other sort of like reflections as you zoom out and you think like what you know we can't undo what happened at Hillsong but what can we take and learn going forward um with outside of Hillsong, all the other wonderful journalism that you're doing. What? How can we have a better version of Christianity for the next generation? <laughs> Roxanne, 30 tell seconds us. or less. <laughs> um, you know, I think the word that just pops in my head is humility. And I think there's, there's a real lack of that, um, both, you know, in all the ways, both like the in pride, also in like the way that we present ourselves. And I, you know, I, I think there's just like Jesus was a humble person and lived a humble life. And I I don't know that we're seeing a lot of that be a lot of like humility doesn't seem to be a prioritized value within Christianity right now. And that yeah. might be. Part. Help us, Lord. Well, I mean, this this half hour flew by. The good news <laughs> is we're going to have your friend and your podcast partner on here soon. Um, Caitlin Beatty will be on here. But today uh, it's been a great half hour with Roxanne Stone. Uh, you you can watch the, the Hillsong documentary, A Mega Church Exposed, but um, also follow Roxanne's work at Religion News Service. And um, we're, we're trying to tell the good, the good news, the good stories too, Roxanne, right? Absolutely. So thanks for listening, everybody. We'll uh, see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.